0: My mother, the person and the patient, is an original podcast written and hosted by me, for Kuso. This podcast is about my mother, Timira Abdusamed Muhammad, Ayaya we call her. And that's the Somali word for grandmother. And her great-grandchildren call her Ayaya too. And that is their way of saying great-grandmother. If you listen to any of my episodes, you know I have a strong feeling against Alzheimer's. I consider Alzheimer's to be a thief, Alzheimer's to be a disease that comes and takes, and takes, and takes, takes gradually at some points, and faster than other points. And the fact that my mother had lost her ability to use her words to tell stories, to walk, had been alarming to me. But the last few weeks, I'm beginning to see a blessing in this disease. In episode 26, I spoke about how Alzheimer's is a blessing for my mother because my mother and my daughter, whom you know that had been murdered the end of May, they were really, really close. So because of Alzheimer's, my mother is not cognitively available anymore to feel the emotion. So I thought it was blessing for her to not Be cognitively here anymore because this would have devastated her as much as it devastated me, as much as it's devastated my children, the rest of the family, my siblings, my nieces, my nephews. So she doesn't know that's helpful. And now, in this episode, I'm going to share with you how my mother is Alzheimer's, my mother's dependent on me as her caregiver. Is a blessing for me in this time of grieving. After my daughter went missing, I was on this autopilot. And I think I'm still on autopilot because we have no idea what happened to my daughter. The police are not sharing anything with us at all. And we are waiting in this almost like a holding. I don't even know how to say it. Myself and my entire family, we are in this holding spot where we don't really know what happened to her, please are not sharing, and the trial and everything that comes with it is looming large, even though it's perhaps months and even years in the distance, but it's still in our consciousness all the time, forever and ever. So, the fact that I am a caregiver to my mother gets me out. Bed every single day. It helps me move about. It helps me get out of bed every morning when my alarm clock goes off to get up and help my mother to get her out of bed, get her cleaned up, give her breakfast, her medication, and all that. All I wanted to do, all I want to do at that moment is pull the covers over my head and stay in bed. But because I am a caregiver to my mother, I get out of bed and I take pleasure in helping my mother, taking care of my mother. And I know my daughter loved her grandmother. She would have been happy with me doing what I'm doing despite the pain I feel down to my bones. So that's how I see Alzheimer's, even though I hate the disease and what it has done to my mother, I still see it as a blessing because it gives me the purpose to move, purpose to get out of bed, purpose to be kind to my mother and find joy in the time that I'm investing in my mother. I understand too that the tragedy that my family had been dealt will have a lifetime consequence for us. And that is reminding me how my mother dealt with after she had lost custody of her kids and she had to go back home to her family and realize that the pain of... Losing her children came with her into her family's village, into her room that she used to sleep as a girl. And the same way I am accepting my daughter's loss, the grief and this tragedy that befell on me and on my family is something that I am going to have to live with for the rest of my life. I cannot leave it once I had the funeral. I cannot leave it once the person that this to my daughter is arrested. And I will have to carry it with me. And being a caregiver to my mother is allowing me learn how to carry the pain with me and get through the day being kind to my mother. Not offset the pain, but to learn how to carry the pain with me, in me, and about me. And that has made all the difference. When you listen to how we arrived at my mother's diagnosis and what followed, it's so easy to see her just as the patient, to see her as nothing more than the disease that reduced her to shell of her old self. But I want also to tell you about my mother, the person, the fierce woman that told her stories unapologetically, celebrating the beautiful parts and harsh realities equally. I want to share with you the stories she told us about her life as a girl growing up in a small village, the tales that marked her adulthood. I want to share with you all her losses and the ultimate winnings. The following chapter is one of those stories reconstructed from my childhood memory. Timur's return to the village didn't fill her with the joy she'd imagined. Her stepmother and father tried to make her feel at home, but the rest of the village didn't. Those who spoke to her only did so to express their bewilderment at how she could have lost two husbands in such a short period of time. divorced twice and not even thirty? Marian asked once. And leave two children behind? Halima added. I had no choice but to leave, she told them. But that only added to their condescension. A real mother would have stayed, one of them said. Timira could never remember who said it, not that it mattered. When one of them said something, the others nodded in agreement. The confession that she'd missed her children was met with disdain from Saadia and Halima. But that was the best she got. Others ignored her altogether. Women from the village would cross the street and walk away when they saw her coming. All marriage age. Girls must have been told to avoid her because none would return her greetings. Even her connection with Farah seemed to have frayed. He loved her. She knew he did, but he seemed to be keeping a distance from her. Do you think I shouldn't have sent for father? She'd asked him one day. Instead of letting him kill you, he hugged her at the time. Their heartbeat fell into that familiar rhythm it did the day they lost their mother. But she felt the distance between them grow wider somehow. Her energy to reach out and touch him diminished. I shouldn't have come back here, she lamented to her stepmother. One of those days where all she saw for the entire day was averted gazes and lips moving in hushed whispers. Of course you should have, her stepmother reassured her. This is your home, where you belong. Despite the love shown to her by her father and stepmother, the way the twins looked at her with adoring eyes, and far, his tamed nods as he followed their father to the field. She knew she didn't belong. Wherever home was, the village where her family lived, wasn't it? Not anymore. Timira moved from one day to the next doing chores and playing with the twins as if she were a mere visitor in her own life. Time did nothing to lessen the anguish that resided within her. The image of that night before she left Hassani's house followed her in every corner of the village, her daughter clinging to her like another layer of skin, her son following his sister, a shadow that played in her mind. The night she snuck out, the night she walked away from her children into the barren world of childlessness, remained present with her every second of every day that followed. But what she thought about the most was what happened the following day when they woke up. In this, her imagination ran wild creating and recreating the events of the days that followed her betrayal of her children. She could see them rubbing their eyes like they had done every morning, Ibrahim mimicking his sister, following her every move. Timiro could hear their questions between bouts of crying, the doubt in their eyes when their grandmother told them their mother was gone and would never return. In her mind's eye, she watched Amina going from one room to another, searching for her. The guilt that came over her as she played and replayed those images ravaged her mind. Two weeks later, the message she'd received from her mother-in-law confirmed her fear. Amina is still crying. Tamira waited for the bus driver to say more. And Ibrahim His refusing to say a word, not a single word, was the one that followed. She absorbed the pain that came with each word her mother-in-law had sent. She deserved the torturous feeling that followed each such news. The blazing guilt hit her on the face, tattooing each word of the statement, onto her body until her blood ran hot in her veins, making her temperature rise. Part of her prayed her mother-in-law would stop sending messages as she stood in the bus depot waiting for the arrival or another message from her. She wanted the driver to leave the vehicle and walk by her without paying her a mind. Your children had forgotten about you, his gate would announce. They decided they had no mother. That never happened. Every word of terrible tidings always arrived on time, once every two weeks, like a clockwork. At the end of the three months required for a divorced woman not to start a new relationship, marriage proposals start to come for Timur. Some were from their village, a widowed man with three children. Another man not much older than her whispered the request in her father's ear. Why me when he could marry a girl? Timiro posed the question to her stepmother who had given her the news. His land is too small to woo an unmarried girl, so you are the answer to his prayers for his poor condition. Her stepmother's honesty struck Timiro. Jama's son wants to marry you, her stepmother told her a week after the first one. That made no sense to Timiro. The man, five years older than her, had spent every day chewing jat and nothing else. Even his father refused to give him his share of the land until he cleaned his act. He believes, as a twice-divorced daughter, your father would be too eager to be rid of you, your dowry a fraction of a girl's cost. statement made her stepmother laugh so hard that it took her a long time to finish saying it. Yet others came from far-flung places. Places she'd heard and some she hadn't. How about this one? Her stepmother would ask each time. Her hand moved her mouth to cover the beginning of laughter. Timira looked at her stepmother with questions. I have to ask just in case that telling smile spread on father's face. In case of what, this has become a game for the two of them now. A little fun, mainly at the expense of her situation. In case you decide to go with one of them, I just might. Timur burst into laughter that time, and her stepmother wasn't too far behind Tamira's answers were always immediate and exact when her father inquired after her. No, she had no desire to be in any man's bed at the time, especially when counting on her depreciating value. So her rejections came as swiftly as the questions themselves. I'd rather die alone and penniless. Pick one. Her father said after numerous vehement refusals, a daughter needs a home of her own. He didn't need to tell her that. Timira was well-versed in the glares and exaggerated sympathy that came her way. The words of well-meaning people, that was nothing more than a condescension. I need to see you in your home while I am still on this earth. God willing, you will be yet. Tamir's stepmother said, but we want her in a home good enough for her. Timira's father stared at his wife for a minute. Inshallah, I'll pray for that, he said. The proposal didn't stop, but the pressure that came with the questions disappeared with that. The pain of how she'd abandoned her children continued to occupy every fiber of her being. It took only a glimmer of memory, the sound of a quarrel between two adults, a scent of the lilac swaying in the soft spring breeze, a taste of a piece of fruit in her mouth, the whimper of a baby or the shriek of a child announcing some hurt to move her into the depth of her wretched mind. The hot temper of the pain sweeping through her skin would reach the flesh all the way to her bones. Half running, half walking, she would move from one chore to the next, the distance between the two shrinking with the procession of time. To lose herself in the task, her work in the kitchen often began before even there was a need to start. She would light the cooking fire at least an hour before the morning prayer call woke the villagers. With the grinding stone between her stretched out legs, she would move her hand in circles, the motion becoming the rhythm that helped her keep her mind still, to slow her thoughts to a manageable level. Kneading the bread dough made her lose herself, turning from flour into freshly baked bread. She even insisted on working in the field with her father, Farah, and the farmhands her father had hired in the afternoons. From preparing the area to plant and harvest, Timira took no rest. Her head bent toward the ground, thick beads of sweat running down her back. She modeled herself after Farah. Like him, she approached the work before her with a silent resolve. She tilled the earth without stopping for a single breath until the sun slanted toward the western sky. Occasionally, her father would attempt to coax her out of the field. You should be in the cooking shed with the other woman, he would said, more than once. You belong in their company. I belong here with you. She belonged nowhere, not with her family, not in the village and not with the woman that gave her sidelong glances each time she came upon them. Still, she didn't dare to leave the village. This was where Hassan's mother could reach her. It was the only way she could continue receiving the double-edged sword, the message that fed her soul while depriving it of rest. Six years after she'd left her children, Timira received a message from her daughter. Amina was almost 11 by then. She must have been taking her lessons for the last four years. Timira couldn't read. But seeing her daughter's large, looping B's and D's filled her with pride. Her child could write like those who wrote the books that lined Hassan's bookshelves but the joy the receipt of the letter brought her diminished when Farah read the first sentence on the paper. My grandmother passed this Friday last. Amina's note started here. Timila's heart dropped to the pit of her stomach. The whooshing sound of the blood rushing through her veins filled her ears. She was overcome by the words so sharp. They jumped out of the page and slapped her across the face. A flickering light of sorrow passed before her, rendering her blind for a long moment. Timur staggered under the pain each letter exuded before Farah read on. In Farah's reading, there was no greetings, no pleasantries, no inquiries of how she was doing. Amira didn't spend a drop of her precious ink to comfort Tamiro with stories of goings in her life or her brother's. She offered nothing in the way of salutation. She gave her no title, no mom or mother, not even her name. If the bus driver didn't give her the small envelope saying it was a young girl that sent it, she wouldn't have known she was the intended recipient. I didn't think you would care, but she wanted you to know. Amina's words came like daggers with sharp edges. I wouldn't have sent it without my promise to her. Timur read between the lines. The words said and unsaid carried a fit of palpable but justified anger. My dear grandmother is no more as if the entire sentence missed its mark and fell between the lines. The sobs Amina must have issued became audible to Timura. A statement drooped way down by Amina's tears when she put pen to paper. This was the first time Timira had seen her daughter's writings on the page. Amina was learning to hold the writing quill when she left her behind. Now reading what she had written, She felt she could tell her feelings by imagining how her pen must have moved across the page, her eyes squinting like her father had when he wrote to a merchant who owed him money, or someone that failed their agreement to bring goods. Timiro remembered watching him and seeing the rage that filled him against whomever he was writing to. The tension moved through his body until his muscles relaxed only after he had finished writing, folded the single sheet of paper, and tucked it into the white, pristine envelope. Some words sound erect and unmoving, like those timid imagined Hassan had placed on his letters. The image of Amina's small frame hunched over her father's magnificent desk, laboring over the notes intended to convey how she felt about Timiro flashed in her mind. She must have snuck into the room in her father's absence. Hassan wouldn't have allowed Amina to write a letter to Timiro, especially not at his desk using his ink and his special quill. He didn't even know his mother was in contact with her. Amina's writing grew bold, and my father took a wife within this last month. Timira sorrow reached a new height with that. Her daughter suffered loss twice. Timira's departure and her grandmother's death, only to be in the clutch of another woman, each to their own, I guess, Amina wrote on. Look, Farah showed the single sheet to Timiro. Amina left a massive space on the page, gaping at Timiro before she wrote more. Maybe she was planning on coming back to that blank space later, but how she had reserved it for some forgotten memory she would hope would go to Timiro before she sealed it. This would be the last I write to you. She added at the bottom of the page, for we are moving and father isn't saying where. Timir took the paper from Farah, went inside her room, and sat on her childhood bed. She folded and refolded the paper in the darkness of that first night and many nights that followed the bed frame creaking beneath her adult weight, she closed her eyes to conjure her children's images into the flesh. But she couldn't even do that. She failed and wore the grief that came with it like another layer of her garment. My mother, the person and the patient, can be found in Amazon Music, Apple podcast or wherever you get your podcasts, please remember to follow, like and share and join me next week as I share with you another episode of my mother's journey as both the person and the patient. Thank you.